Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we do on Condensed Histories is we take a piece of pop culture and I condense it. The clue's in the title, okay? So I give you a bit of a summary of what that pop culture's all about, and then I reveal how either deliberately or sometimes accidentally or subconsciously there's real history lurking just underneath the surface. Now this time round, I'm doing Loki. What's that? The TV series currently streaming on Disney Plus, but I guess it'll be there forever. And this one isn't particularly hard, okay? Loki if you've watched anything to do with Loki in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you'll know he's a Norse god, and he genuinely is a Norse god. I am Loki of Asgard. So, yes, I'm going to be talking about the Vikings. But also, I'm going to be talking about the problem with writing superheroes in the 1960s, and also, I'm going to be talking about one of the only examples of a successful airplane hijack can you fly this plane and land it surely you can't be serious i am serious and don't call me Shirley. all this and more on condensed history so let's get on with it and what i'm going to start off with is okay so the loki tv series starring tom hiddleston as the eponymous loki has been around in the marvel cinematic universe he himself the actor has been around since the very first thor movie i'm loki you may have and that was at a time when disney didn't even own Marvel, the Marvel Studios that had made the Iron Man movie in 2008. Now, what we're looking at at the beginning of all of this is Disney still, or and Marvel, is still kind of looking around for the magic formula. It is worth remembering that Iron Man, the very first movie out of this area, was a big hit and was very well received, but it came out in the same summer as The Dark Knight. You know, that DC one with Heath Ledger as the Joker. Why so serious? And whereas Iron Man did very good business, and let's be honest, it is worth remembering that we get to someone like Robert Downey Jr. 
he became a megastar again, courtesy of Iron Man. He obviously has been an actor for a long time, but he'd had his fair share of personal demons and had been seen as somewhat unreliable. And he wasn't necessarily a go-to name for, like, child-friendly superhero movies. So that's what remade him, recast him, and got the attention of the world, and quite right to. An amazing actor, and he delivered most of the time. That was 2008. And you could see that DC was still very much winning, but at the very end of Iron Man, it was starting to set up other things. And indeed, also in 2008 was the second Marvel movie, The Incredible Hulk. Not The Hulk, which came out years earlier, directed by Ang Lee, but The Hulk, which was an example of a big misfire by Disney. Um, so I keep saying Disney, it should be Marvel. Disney hasn't got it yet. I want you. Just the one. This is an example where if you watch it, it's three stars, but at the end you've got Tony Stark, as in Iron Man, as in Robert Downey Jr. turning up in the post-credit sting type situation, which has now become the cornerstone of these sorts of movies. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? Starting to talk about the Avengers Initiative, which obviously everyone's quietly forgotten about because that is not how the Avengers were created later on, we need to get Nick Fury in, etc. So Thor, the very first movie, again was beginning to be involved. By then they knew that they were leading towards an Avengers film. And they got Sir Kenneth Branagh, a great British Shakespearean actor and director, to be the director of the first Thor movie. And you can see why they wanted to do it, because the Thor film was sort of Everybody kind of spoke in a cod Shakespearean kind of way. And again, a bit like The Incredible Hulk, nobody's going to turn around and say, do you know what the greatest Marvel movie is? Thor is not the answer. Or, or even Thor Dark World, the second one. Disney now owns it. They realised we need to do something different with Thor. So they turned it in out-and-out action comedy buddy funny movie got Taika Waititi to direct it and then you get Thor Ragnarok which everybody had a whale of a time. However by then Loki had become a very well established character. He was in essence the main bad guy in the first Avengers film. That needs to be remembered as well. And if you like there are echoes between what they've been doing with Loki in the movies and indeed in the comics with the actual Scandinavian sagas from about a thousand years ago. I know this is weird. I'll get to the history in a little bit, but spoiler if you like for the <laughs> for the actual no, I'm gonna be clear, there are no spoilers from Loki the TV series. I will be mentioning some minor things from the very first episode. I'm not going to turn around and tell you what's happening on like episode four or something like that. I, I hate it when people just sort of slip this stuff in. I will make a passing reference to something that happens in episode two, but again, believe me, it'll be taken out of context and it's something that you all know about anyway. So the point is that when it comes to Loki in the TV show and indeed in the cinematic universe, his character has very much evolved. He's always kind of been complicated 
and he wasn't the best thing in Avengers Assemble, the first Avengers movie. There is a general argument that Marvel has always kind of suffered from not very good villains compared to DC, for example, with the likes of Lex Luthor, Joker, etc. They just don't have the same rogues gallery. This is one of the reasons why Civil War works so well both as a comic and as a movie, because you've got the heroes fighting against each other. People care less about the bad guys. Oh, and if you're going to turn around and say, hang on, hang on, Jeb, come on, Thanos. You know, we're talking about Avengers movies. What about one of the biggest films ever, Thanos in Infinity War and Endgame? Yeah, he's pretty much a ripoff of Darkseid from DC, who they created this kind of cosmic overlord, evil guy, invader-type dude years before Marvel got round to it. There's an awful lot of, how can I put it politely, synergy between Marvel and DC storylines, characters, etc. And usually DC got there first. This is a tremendous idea. Let's steal one big example where it was actually the other way around we've got uh, the the lizard who's an enemy of spider-man that came before killer croc versus batman so they as an example of dc kind of riffing off marvel rather than the other way around i'm not going to get into all of that okay these people seem to say you're either marvel or you're dc i've never quite understood that i like both of them how can you not like a good Spider-Man movie or a good Batman movie? Or I've always loved Iron Man too, but at the same time, I really like some of the darker DC stuff. It's entertainment, guys. Just, just go with it. So let's get back to the actual TV show. So in June 2021, we start getting Loki the TV series, where this is a spoiler for Avengers end game you've had two and a half years to see that film maybe three years to see that film and it's one of the biggest films of all time but in that loki dies and this is another problem that people have had about marvel movies in that hardly anybody ever dies there's very low stakes when you know somebody's going to be resurrected or turn back time or it turned out to be an illusion or whatever okay and being tricked like once or twice like that can be quite clever but if it happens consistently and we're just getting another movie starring this person who conclusively died a while back that's a problem however they do actually explain it in a really interesting way in the tv series in essence, this is all to do with time travel. And we're starting to get into the world of Doctor Who. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. And basically, a version of Loki, who was in Avengers Endgame. Hang on, I'm trying to work it out. Yes, uh, so what? <laughs> this is where it gets complicated. The time continuum has been disrupted, creating this new... Temporal event sequence resulting in this alternate reality. English, Doc. This version of Loki is in Avengers Endgame, but actually they're referencing from the first Avengers movie. It gets a little complicated. So, in essence, the reason why Loki's alive is he hasn't got to the point in his own timeline where he dies. 
So that's a reasonable use for him. And indeed, this is the conceit in the whole thing. There's the TVA, in essence, time police, who make sure that if anything goes off the main timeline, everything that's meant to happen, good or bad, if you start being a variant, in other words, a sort of distortion in time, their job is to shut it down and, and get rid of it so they can keep the main timeline going, because last time they allowed that to happen, there was a whole cosmic interdimensional war, and that's a bad thing for everybody. It's a wonderful little conceit, which allows you to bring back Loki, but also the set design in this TV show is just French kiss. Sorry, not French kiss. <laughs> you had one job. Just the one. Chef's kiss is what I was going for. Mwah. Chef's kiss perfection. It's this sort of 1960s drab office kind of vibe, which obviously has some sci-fi elements to it, but it just feels like this is a place out of time where, of course, they just do lots of paperwork. And it suits the vibe so, so well. I am, full disclosure, a big fan of this TV show. I'm going to compare it favorably to WandaVision. In the middle, you got Falcon and Winter Soldier. I don't know anybody who says that was the best one. Because the problem with Falcon Winter Soldier is it very much felt like a slightly low-budget kind of Captain America movie chopped up into chunks, which had lots of plot holes in it. I've done a whole podcast on it. Feel free to go back and listen to that one. Look, it's nice to sometimes talk about stuff you're not in love with. You know, kind of picket it a little bit. That doesn't mean that I'm Mr. Negative all the time, though, either. But the great thing about WandaVision, as I said, I, that's another one I've done a podcast on, by the way. So, again, feel free to listen to that one. But the thing about it was it was so weird, so unusual, so unlike anything you'd seen before. I mean, yes, it was riffing on classic sitcoms, but you're not used to seeing superheroes in classic sitcoms, are you? That you wanted to know what was happening next. It was a bit of a puzzle and mystery. Whereas Falcon and Winter Soldier is sort of like, OK, we now need to go to bloody blah place. Tune in next week to see them go to bloody blah place and basically get chased or things blow up again. And with Loki, again, because it's so weird and wonderful, it is a bit of an unraveling mystery. I love that sensation in it. It's, it's great fun. It encourages you to watch it beautifully shot. According to Tom Hiddleston, it was probably the hardest thing he's ever filmed because it was filmed during the whole COVID lockdown thing. So I'm sure it must have been incredibly awkward and arduous to do a scene, get a test, put a mask on, stay separate from everybody else. You know, you're going to do this because you're going to get paid. But at the same time, you know, that isn't kind of why people want to do this stuff. And it must have been very hard, but I'm going to say, hard or not, it absolutely works wonders on the screen. And Owen Wilson, who's kind of like his mentor sidekick kind of thing, the straight man in essence to the comedy guy. Owen Wilson, he is kind of one note in a lot of his work, but this is a different side to him. He's still that kind of slightly lovable laissez-faire dude, which we were all familiar with, but at the same time, he's got this area of authority. He knows more than Loki does. He's good, and the two of them have got great chemistry on screen. I'm Agent Mobius, by the way. How long have you been here? I don't know, it's hard to say. You know, time passes differently here in the TVA. So that, if you like, is the big picture stuff. I am going to just very quickly jump into a few bits before I go into the whole history thing. But obviously, timelines. 
So they got various references, and in the first episode, I was kind of blown away. Loki, as everybody and their son knows, is the god of mischief. So he's going to do tricks. So they just have this one brief scene. I just sat there thought, oh my god, they're, they're not going to reference this. And they absolutely do. This basically, and I mentioned this in the bit at the front, about an airplane heist. Now, what happened in November 1971, now this is kind of the era before computers and CCTV and all this kind of stuff, is there was a gentleman dressed in a pretty drab suit who bought a ticket on a Boeing 727, an internal American flight, and he bought the ticket in cash under the name of Dan Cooper. Now, for some reason, this has been sort of corrupted by the news outlets as D.B. Cooper. But Dan Cooper is actually what was on the ticket. And what you see in Loki is basically what happened. He was a very nice, quiet man, unassuming. And he basically informed them that there was a bomb on the plane. This is obviously not very good. And he forced the plane to land. However, to sort things out, he told them that they needed to give him $200,000 and a few parachutes. This was all brought onto the airplane, and the airplane then took off. It then, the radar showed this, it then went quite low, and it slowed down quite a lot. And eyewitness reports inside the airplane say that he attached parachutes to the money. And by the way, $200,000 in 1971 is about $1.3 million in modern day, okay? And it seems that when the plane slowed down over a national park, over a forest in other words... Cooper jumped out with the money. There was then a massive manhunt to hunt him down. And they never found a body, they never found parachutes, and they never found the cash. It is safe to say that while this could have happened over a very wide area, there had been so much effort put into the search that it is highly likely that the guy managed to get away with it. The FBI kept the case open for 45 years. So, whereas you might not have been born in 1971, I'm going to say that by the time the case closed, in 2016, you were definitely alive and well and didn't realise that the FBI are still looking for Cooper. But, but there was just simply no evidence. Obviously, in the Loki TV thing, they show him jumping out and then being caught up on basically the Asgardian Rainbow Bridge more on that in a minute so that's if, if you like they explain it happening that way but the reality is we just don't know and it looks like it's one of the very rare examples of a hijacking actually working and if you like cooper's become in america a bit of a folklore figure a little bit like bonnie and clyde but whereas bonnie and clyde did actually kill people in this case there was no bomb it was all a complete con he was very nice to everybody obviously he was insistent on his demands but there were no threats and he just seemed to be one of those kind of gentleman thief types that don't exist in real life but exist in things like pink panther movies or heist films or whatever Ocean's Eleven. Hello, Sam. How are you? Oh, same as always. I move, I breathe, I seem to feel the thrill of life along the keel. You sound like a ferry boat. But yeah, so it turns out that sometimes you can do things like that. And similarly in episode two, and this is a very brief aside, like I say, very much not a spoiler, they go to Pompeii. 
Okay, not saying why they go to Pompeii, but they go to Pompeii in AD 79. Yeah, the time when there's the big explosion. they do a great job of showing. I mean, obviously the great thing about Pompeii and Herculaneum, which everyone seems to forget about, is the massive preservation of these Roman imperial cities. They can actually do a very good job of recreating them, and they only recreate a little area. But just here's a little fun fact. Loki then says in perfect Latin to the people around him various things, okay? But you've got, it's not just Tom Hiddleston talking in an Italian accent, he's speaking in Latin. But here's something that you can bore your friends and family with. All this Latin in inverted commas that we know is church Latin. It's medieval Latin. And actually, we're not quite sure We've got gaps, if you like, from the Latin that was spoken at the time of, let's say, Julius Caesar. So actually, when we talk about Latin, like any language, it evolves over time. And actually, Latin was used for about 2,000 years. So what he is speaking, what Loki is speaking in AD 79, is actually Latin from a 1,000 years later. And although it might be perfect Latin as in a modern grammar book on Latin that you would learn at school if you still would learn something like that, chances are to the people around him in AD 79, he's talking slightly gibberish version of Latin. So I thought I would let you lead with that. And it's a perfect segue into the proper history stuff. So let's now move over to Loki, the Scandinavian god. And let's pause for a moment. What is a genuine deity from an early medieval society doing in comics in the 20th and 21st century in America? Hmm? Huh? Think about it for a moment. And actually, I got an answer to this. You see, whereas Stan Lee is genuinely a genius of comic books and an amazing writer and a creator of all these wonderful characters, Stan Lee's on record, and he's not the only one, by the way. Again, Stan Lee is not the same thing as all of Marvel. He was just one of the cornerstones, shall we say. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget? Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And then it's the same thing with DC and uh, other comic books are available, all right? But the thing is this. How did Spider-Man become Spider-Man? The answer was he was bitten by a radioactive spider, wasn't he? And then what about the Hulk? How did he become the Hulk? Well, he was blasted by gamma rays that when he's angry means that he turns big and green. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And then you might remember something like Daredevil, okay? Another one from the 1960s. These are all 1960s, by the way. Superman, Batman came from the 1930s, and let's face it, Batman technically has no superpowers. But in the case of Daredevil, he's a lawyer, but as a kid, he was blinded by some toxic goo, but sort of gives him some powers even though he's blind. So in other words, there are all these accidents. Fantastic Four, the first superhero group, again created by Marvel, again in the 1960s. Astronauts out in space, blasted by cosmic rays that gave them all weirdly different powers. There are only so many accidents, radiation waves, etc., that can cause all these superpower abilities, alright? For when Eric eats a banana, an amazing transformation occurs. And that's why it was the case that in, in Marvel they invented the mutants. This is people like Magneto, Wolverine, Deadpool even, etc. The idea behind it was simply, in the words I believe of Stan Lee, we just wanted to create a situation where we could start creating lots of different superheroes without having to explain how they got their powers. And so in the case of the mutants is there is a new mutant gene that can create various different superpower abilities. Done. Nobody needs to fall into a vat of toxic acid or anything like that. Very, very clever. And the other thing is, of course, that out there, there were already superheroes. Thor was one of the earliest superheroes to be in the Marvel canon. Thor was not invented by Marvel. Thor is an example of one of these ancient Scandinavian deities. So Loki gets thrown in there as well. If you don't believe me, have a look. I believe both Marvel and DC. You see, this is the great thing about Thor and Loki. Nobody owns the copyright. They're just sort of out there, as it were. And so it's the same thing with stuff like Zeus and Hercules. Again, you can literally go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Hercules in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because they're already there, they're already gods, so let's just use them. Nobody's going to be offended. Obviously, it'd be a lot more different if you had, I don't know, Jesus the comic book, where he's going kapow splat against Thor. I don't know, there's a part of me thinking, I'd pay to see that. But, but anyway, you could see how that would cause a furore that they just wouldn't want. Why not use some of these pagan gods from the past? Nobody owns them. There's a certain level of brand recognition. And this is something else worth pointing out for a moment. There are elements of the actual Scandinavian sagas in the Marvel stuff. 
I heard somebody say, well, you know, they live in this place called Asgard and they travel to Earth on this rainbow bridge. Well, you know, it was the 60s. Lots of people doing drugs at the time. No, that was from a thousand years earlier. That's literally how the gods who lived in Asgard would travel to Midgar, which is Earth, where humans live, if you like. And we'll come on to that in a little bit in a moment. So, so no, actually, some of the weirder, trippier stuff turned out to be stuff from ancient myth and not from some unusual cigarettes in the 1960s, says Jem politely. And so Loki's mixed in with all of this too. And they do quite a good job with him because Loki, I'm now talking about the Scandinavian god Loki. He is unusual compared to the likes of Thor, for example, or Odin, or if we go to the Greek gods of you know, Zeus and Ares, etc. That Loki, unlike these other gods, actually has some, for want of a better phrase, character development. I started off by saying what everybody knows is Loki is the god of mischief. And indeed, he starts off as the god of mischief in the Scandinavian sagas. There are times when he tricks and has fun. He's kind of playful with the Scandinavian gods. But there are other times when he's outright at war with them. This leads to ultimately Loki killing the Scandinavian god Baldur. So at that point, he stops being this sort of little trickster type god and he becomes a force of genuine malevolence and evil. And indeed, in the sagas, it is said that when Ragnarok, yeah, that's a real thing, that's the kind of the apocalypse, the Scandinavian version of the apocalypse, the end of days, when Ragnarok comes and the gods fight against the evil forces, on that side of the evil forces, there will be Loki. Also, Loki becomes more powerful as well. He's a shapeshifter. One of my favorite things he turns into is a salmon, just because. And, you know, he was also an old woman because everybody turns into an old woman. Again, it doesn't matter if we're talking about Greek myths or ancient Egyptian myths or whatever. The people are forever turning into different people. It is I, Leclerc. Well, I never would have guessed. However, he has children. And some of these, I've mentioned this one before when I was talking about evil out there and I mentioned hell. And I said that that's both a goddess and also their concept of the bad afterlife. And hell, the goddess, is a daughter of Loki and Fenrir. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, one of the most evil werewolves in all of Harry Potter is also called Fenrir. And Fenrir is this kind of unsurprisingly terrifying large wolf. So you can see where J.K. Rowling got that from, okay? But Fenrir is also one of the children of Loki. <laughs> How he can produce a goddess and a giant wolf, little unclear. But then he also, one of his children, is Jormungandr. And believe me, it took me quite a while to start learning how to say that. I learned it ages ago, and therefore I will try and stick it in as often as possible. Jormungandr, the world serpent. This giant snake that can literally wrap its coils around the entire planet Earth is a very important creature and feature of ancient Scandinavian myths and lore, L-O-R-E. And yet Loki is the father of Jormungandr. 
Now, where are we all getting this stuff? We're getting this from, as always, the Icelandic sagas. And I think I mentioned this quite some time ago in another podcast, but I will just mention it again. There is an eternal debate. These Icelandic sagas were written down in the 1200s. This is at a point when Scandinavia has become Christianized. And these sagas are drenched in blood and battle and brave warriors fighting to the last man in a berserk fury. And so is this a Christian monk lovingly writing down these marvelous tales that they had been told as a child and wanting to preserve a part of their culture for future generations? Or is it a Christian monk writing down the tales that they've been told as a child and exaggerating the barbarity and violence and blood to gently remind everybody that Christianity is best? Nobody has a definitive answer for this because the Vikings largely didn't write things down. Yes, they had runes, but runes were kind of magical totems almost. So people weren't writing entire books in runic language, but what they were doing is perhaps writing on etching, basically, into the side of their sword or axe. Sometimes it is sort of slightly flowery poetry going something along the lines of the enemies shall taste this metal or something like that. Or sometimes it would just simply say, Snorri's. <laughs> it's just like, okay, property of Snorri, fair enough, thanks for that. Or it might be on like a marker, sort of symbolising the edge of a territory or talking about a king's great deeds. So if you like, in the Viking world, writing had a kind of almost magical property, which is still kept to this day. The sort of rune casting was something that was done by the Vikings. People still do it today. I'm sorry it has about as much scientific validity as looking at the bits of tea in the bottom of your cup or doing palmistry. There's no evidence it works, but it is a link to an ancient tradition. Let's call it that then, shall we? So you can see that Loki is actually a really important god. And yet, whereas in the Marvel world, he's evolved, but he's evolved from basically not so much pure evil, but very much in the first Avengers movie, he was the big bad guy. But now he's kind of almost an anti-hero in the Loki TV series, whereas he's basically gone the other way in the Scandinavian Chronicles because he starts off as being a bit, bit of a naughty boy and then turning into a force of genuine evil. And I mentioned these realms, and there are these very specific rules around these realms, which is really interesting. When people start talking about paganism, really, whether you like it or not, you're being biased there by Christianity. We don't have the name of the ancient Egyptian religion. It was just what they did. We don't have the name of the ancient Greek religion or, indeed, the ancient Scandinavian. So they just sort of tend to be lumped together as pagans. But you can see these are very different polytheistic religions and cultures and rules and regulations. And so, yeah, I mean, the people who follow Christian teaching are called Christians, okay? The people who follow the words of the Prophet Muhammad are Muslims. And, and so we've got these names for these religions, but these religions faded away before we gave them a name other than just uh, pagan, which in essence really means not a monotheistic faith. But just because Thor's religion, Loki's religion, didn't last, although they do better box office, by the way, than, than Jesus does, the fact of the matter is people followed these things. They believed in these things. And just because 
it ended up being phased out by another religion doesn't mean that, let's say, in AD 700, people in, I'm going to pick Oslo, didn't have very passionate feelings about these people. And there would be, obviously, stories told about them. Linking this, it, one of the earliest stories about this kind of Scandinavian saga style is actually the oldest piece of literature in English. Now, this is old English, Anglo-Saxon English. This is Beowulf. You want your name in the song of Beowulf. But what's interesting is this was written in England in English, or what English looked like at that time. And the time is round about sort of 600 AD. And the opening line is Hoyt and Gagardium. And it's like, that isn't even English, Gem. It's like, yeah, you're right. You need a translation for it. But it was, although it was written down, it was clearly meant to be spoken. It was a saga. And, and a saga is a long poem. And if you think about the storytellers, these minstrels, if you like, would go round and it was in their best interest. If, if you have a short beginning, middle and end, you entertain everybody for an evening and then and then you have to go on your way. But if these epic sagas took perhaps several evenings to listen all the way through, then you're there for a few days. And don't forget, this is way before the invention of things like TV and newspapers and so on and so forth. So yeah, having one of these storytellers turn up in your local village or town, they would be given a position of honor. They would be fed and put near the fire and they would tell these stories absolutely enrapturing everybody around them. And so the thing about Beowulf is, although this is English in inverted commas, it's not set in England, it's set in Scandinavia. And what's interesting is it's written at a time clearly when Christianity was known of, but was not predominant. And therefore, the Christian priest in the story of Beowulf is suspect, is a schemer, is a bit like the way we would see Loki today. I find that fascinating. We get this echo of the fact that, mm, not sure about this new religion, are they all just a bit, a bit of a bunch of tricksters? Mm, let's have a look at that. So yeah, so in these stories, there are very specific rules. The gods need to travel on that rainbow bridge, by the way. The place of the gods was Asgard. The place of the humans was Midgard. Then you've got Niflheim. This is, there were a total of nine realms hanging from the world tree, Yggdrasil. Again, hard thing to say and spell, by the way. The best way to think of it is, and the sort of the tree interconnects these realms, it's a bit like the baubles hanging off a Christmas tree. Whereas each bauble is a world, and that's probably the best way to think of it. Uh, Niflheim was the place of ice and mists. And also there was a sort of variation of Niflheim called Niflhelheim, which might be where hell actually was. And because I said ice and mist, and for the other podcast I pointed out how hell in Viking terms, the place for the dead that weren't worthy to go to sort of Asgard and sit in the great hall of the gods, waiting in Valhalla for Ragnarok. But anyway, so Niflhelheim is likely to be the place where the the less chosen, the, the sort of the lost souls would go, and it was cold and nasty and nobody wanted to go there. Uh, there were lots of different ones. For example, there's also Nidavellir, which is the land of the dwarves. There's another one for giants, another one of fire and lava and that kind of stuff. They don't forget lots of volcanic activity in some places in Scandinavia, so they were well aware of this stuff. 
So as I said, it was all written down in 1200s. So this is a little time after paganism had ceased to exist. Saying that, though, there's still elements of these things here. There are still people who kind of believe in things like trolls and fairies and things like that, gnomes and dwarves. There is in the hilarious sort of Euro, well, it's not hilarious, it has its moments, but it is, it has, it, anything with Will Ferrell, there's usually a couple of good laughs in it, if it's one of his comedies, I hasten to add, but in his Eurovision comedy they got these tiny little houses that people put little gestures to like maybe a, a bottle of, of drink or some food or something like that for the elves and fairies that's a real thing in scandinavia but then again you might be thinking well that's a bit backwards but it is a link to the past and is no less superstitious than every time you say knock on wood or touch wood depending on whether you're in america or britain it's like why are we touching wood How's that going to stop evil coming away from us? Or black cats are either lucky or unlucky. Don't walk underneath a ladder. I'm going to say that's probably a bit of common sense because that's just increasing your chances of having something fall on your head. But why is breaking a mirror seven years bad luck? So yeah, look, as soon as you start thinking, seeing other cultures and there's weird superstitions, pause for a moment and think about all the weird superstitions in your own country because we've all got them. Human beings are not purely logical creatures. And I think that's a good way to sort of go towards a wrap up on Loki because you know what Loki is an example of sort of like the flaws and silliness of human beings I'm just going to finish off by saying please do subscribe give us a review tell somebody about us I've heard a few people talking about it on Twitter thank you thank you so much by the way that means a lot to me but please yeah, feel free to say hi to me on, on Twitter. I'm at Jem Daduccio on Twitter but if you can just please spread the word and as always hopefully see you soon What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. 
Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.